When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I try to take um, what's happening today and turn to Holy Scripture, church tradition, or maybe something else unexpectedly to talk about that. And today, here in Texas, all of us are thinking about the hostage situation at the synagogue in Colleyville, North Texas. Yesterday, I went to a funeral for a young woman who had died unexpectedly on Christmas Eve and saw her parents there and then came home to that paralyzing hostage situation in the synagogue place of worship and holiness and it was a rough day so I don't know how your day's going or night but um, this is the world we live in and as Christians we always condemn anti-semitism in any way shape or form we find it even if we find it in our own circles. Yesterday, I also read a number of Christian websites that had anti-Semitic information in them, one of them being about the COVID uh, pandemic, how Jews were responsible for the Wuhan flu, the Chinese virus that was manufactured to destroy us, a cabal of Illuminati or secret society of people that control the world. Whenever you get into, you hear somebody talk about a group of people that have control over the world that are not bound by nations or they're talking about Jews. People today are a little more subtle about it than they used to be. Um, But that is what so much of the anti-vaccine conspiracy dialogue is about. It's about Jews and how Jews are trying to destroy our civilization. And these are the ideas that lurk behind so much of the anti-vaccine and anti-science and not really anti-science as much as anti-community care and public health, which is based in science, but uh, goes beyond that to a conspiratorial anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish way of life. And this is what I read on these websites after seeing some people on Facebook that were um, not vaccinated but got COVID and were treating it with ivermectin and other you know, non, non-scientific treatments, um, non-medical treatments, perhaps more ideological. And I hope they recover, but reading those anti-Semitic um, websites really showed me the link between how we talk about Jewish people and what we do to Jewish people and the kind of terroristic plots, shootings and synagogues, this happens a lot for the small number of Jews in the world 
their places of worship are attacked disproportionately to their numbers. Um, if if there were if you were trying to argue that it was just a random religious worship kind of thing, when Christians jump in and say, "Oh, our church has security too. We have to watch out for shooters." Um, not the way that Jews do. Um, if you've ever been to a Jewish synagogue, you usually have to email ahead of time, get on a list, they check your name when you come at the gate of the compound, not even at the building, but further away. Huge security measures. And this that definitely impacts their ability to care for their people and to worship God, worship God freely. Um, all the security layers make it harder for people, with, probably with disabilities or other um, anxieties, to even come to synagogue. So these layers of security form a barrier to their free functioning. So can you really say that we have freedom in religion in America when one group has to build armed compounds just to worship somewhat safely? Um, not that these are safe. They're not safe. Um, as I was shown yesterday, the synagogue yesterday had plenty of security, but um, was not safe. And this is the world we live in, a post-traumatic world and a traumatized world, going through trauma minute by minute, and then the recovery, and then the healing, hopefully. But part of the healing of anti-Semitism, or anti-Semitic attacks on Jewish synagogues Part of the healing is political, of saying, what what do we need to do to make sure this doesn't happen again? It's one thing to care for the victim of a sexual assault and care for them and listen to them and help them therapeutically, individually. It's another thing to pass a law that says that we will prosecute people who practice sexual assault and who sexually assault other people. Those are two different things, two different ways of reacting to a problem. We need to do both. But if you don't do the second, if you don't do the political, if you don't take make the personal political, um, it is not really, it is not an act of love. The care that we give is not an act of love. It's an act of silencing. And so hopefully in this country we will pass laws to strengthen the enforcement of um, of the regulation of anti-Semitic behaviors and and even speech. I think um, I think there is such a thing as speech that incites violence, anti-Semitic writing and lectures and websites and podcasts have done this for people. Um, and just those websites I read yesterday do that. So that's my introduction. I hope you've thought about that too. And I know you have. It's everywhere in the news and, and all over. Today we have Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding. It was the job of the bridegroom to supply the wine in the story. And Jesus takes his disciples and his mom as his date to the wedding, Respect, respectful son that he is, and they run out of wine, the blooper of all bloopers. 
And he turns this, these water jugs that are meant for ritual purification, washing feet and hands, and he turns the water inside them once they fill it up into wine. It's about 150 gallons of wine. It's enough for 5,000 people to have a glass or maybe 500 people to have a lot of glasses. Um, it's a lot of wine. It's the abundance of God. It's the miracle. And it's a sign pointing to his messiahship, that he is the bridegroom of this wedding and all weddings. What marriage is more about water than wine, more about the ordinary, quotidian, normal, day-to-day, mundane things of life than it is about big celebrations like the wedding. It's more about water than wine. And sometimes that water is all you have. The wine runs out. The joy runs out. And that is precisely the moment that Jesus arrives. In fact, he's already been there. He's been at this wedding and no one ever asked him to help until his mother asks him because she knows he can do something about it. And in all relationships, no matter what they are, whether they're marriage or any other relationship in our life, kids, work, parents, family, community, whatever that relation, these relationships are, the wine always runs out and Jesus has to show up. Jesus is already there. We just have to invite him to show up. And he takes the ordinary things in life and makes them extraordinary in a way we can't possibly imagine with the raw materials that we can not possibly imagine. Water is turned to wine all over the world every day. It takes a while. You have to grow the grapes, harvest the grapes. The water goes into the grapes. But Jesus does it quickly here at this wedding, showing that he can do it. And so to follow Jesus, to trust Jesus, is to trust that Jesus can do this in your life. That he can take the ordinary things and make them extraordinary. I think of all the spiritual concepts that I have tried to learn over my life has been to see the extraordinary in the ordinary. To see God's grace in small moments. To see being able to breathe and look at the sun and share a walk. All these little things that we bypass so, for so much of our lives because we are always rushing to something else. This is where we meet God. This is where Jesus shows up in the ordinary, not so much in the extraordinary. You have saved the best wine for last. The testimony of the prophets and apostles and patriarchs is that you don't get good things right away. There are no quick fixes. There are no get-rich-quick schemes in the kingdom of God. There is simply faithfulness and trust and love. Faith, hope, and love. That's what there is. And that's what there is in every relationship, too. And this is why it's so hard. Because the tyranny of the immediate steal our ability to see these things. Mary can see it. And so she implores Jesus, and Jesus can see it. And then the steward of the wedding, who's 
with Jesus and taste the wine can see it and taste it. And the bridegroom can taste it. And then every guest at the wedding can taste it. And you will taste it too. So today, invite Jesus into the ordinary. Invite Jesus into the water of your life. And he will transform it into something extraordinary. Amen. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. <laughs>